When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on X at Charles Chill FFB, everything Destination Devi at patreon.com slash all gas until September ends. So check out the Patreon if you want to get in there. Before everything moves over to destinationdevi.com, you can sign up either way at this point, uh, but check out destinationdevi.com for all of the tools as well as the articles. Uh, We've been pumping out six to eight articles a week uh, and many, many more to continue. Some stuff that you may not be used to. Some Devi stuff, some IDP stuff, a lot of analytical models uh, that JB puts up there. So some good stuff on the website. So either destinationdevi.com or until September is over, patreon.com slash all gas. Check out all the tiers, the newly minted trades in five tier where you get access to bonus content in the discord including the saturday night ama with shane and i it's been a blast doing those the last couple weeks and then obviously you get the ama with ray on wednesday nights uh, where this week he will be having a special guest joining him on the aaa it will be brandon everyone knows brandon behind the scenes uh works with the newsletter does a lot of stuff behind the scenes with the destination debbie twitter handle helps out in the discord really a jack of all trades but brandon will be on the ama with ray this Wednesday night, September 27th. And with that, I wanted just to kind of fire off a couple random topics that was going through my head. I actually got to sit down today uh, and watch more football than I've been able to watch the first two weeks, which coming from me, somebody that doesn't pride myself on really needing to watch football necessarily uh, to do what I do or to have some of the opinions or strategies that I have, I got to sit down and watch a little bit more uh, today just because I had multiple screens didn't go anywhere, was able to kind of digest a little bit more than I typically do on a Sunday. A lot of times it's just following fantasy, watching Red Zone, uh, tapping in on my phone in different discords and different chats and stuff, but got to watch a little bit more. Uh, But there's a couple topics that I just had to hit. Uh, The first one is we have to talk about tight ends. And this probably wasn't what people thought I was going to start with. I'm going to talk about uh, the player that came out of nowhere that is probably going to be this week's flavor of the week or this week's flavor of the month, whatever you want to call it, uh, Devon A-Chain. So I'll talk about him a little bit later on yeah, in the back and forth exchange that I had on Twitter, which I found interesting and it compounds uh, with what I've talked about the last couple episodes. But the tight end production, uh, a lot of the things that I heard today from people in chats or in voice groups or just seeing random blurbs on Twitter was, man, another random tight end scoring points. So I wanted to do a little bit of a deeper dive, and I know we have a small sample size, so any of this stuff that we talk about through two weeks, through three weeks, it's a small sample size, right? So what does that mean going forward? 
I talked last week that Ray and I were going to do war games after six weeks to really kind of go through the war and look at what it looks like relative to what we forecasted a season past seasons. What does it look like through six weeks? We're still a little early to look at the macro view of the war and say, conclusively, this is the way things are trending. But one thing that has come up, um, I wrote my first article, uh, Tectonic Transactions, last week on DestinationDevy.com, talking about Kyle Pitts. And quite frankly, people are sick of hearing about Kyle Pitts. They're sick of hearing about what his profile was, um, some of his metrics, all of that stuff. Nobody cares about that anymore. But one of the reasons I cited in the article for continuing to follow it is the fact that the tight end position is literally, I don't even want to say it's a mess. It's beyond that. It is to the point where we don't think running backs matter. I can sit here and say, yeah, running backs don't matter, any running back on a 53. But if you truly want to get to a position where you can say it doesn't matter, and more importantly, because it is also tough to forecast from a profile to usage standpoint, a lot of people are not comfortable even trying to do it. So it's just turned into a position where, yes, there are formats that people will have the perception that tight end has value until they actually get into the league and they go, man, I really shouldn't be valuing tight ends any differently. So I wanted just to look at this and everyone that has access to the war tool can pull this up. Uh, You can link leagues from my fantasy league or through sleeper. And so I just pulled up a random league of mine. What you can do is just sync a random league through sleeper or through my fantasy league and just find one that fits kind of the argument or kind of the scoring that you want to highlight when you're talking about tight ends. So I pulled up one of mine. This is a My Fantasy League. It is a 12-team super flex. Everything is pretty stock. There's no point per carry or anything, and it is a tight end premium with 1.5 per reception for tight ends. It's a start 10, and it is 32-man rosters. So pretty basic probably a little deeper on the bench than I want it to be. But the point remains, it's a 12-team, start 10, 32-man rosters, 1.5 tight end premium. So if you've listened back to a lot of my stuff before on tight ends with roster construction, I would say it largely doesn't matter. And when you sink the war in this league, you find that really, truly tight ends do not matter. So you look at the war graph, Now, I'm using the results through two weeks because it does take a little bit for the results to pop up uh, for the third week. But even through two weeks, when you're measuring just wins above replacement, you're trying to find where is the equilibrium point. Now, this is true war, so this is not a war or what you actually actualize. This is true war for the tight end position. So I wanted to first look. You have to establish a baseline. I wanted to first look. Where is it at zero? Literally zero. What player has given absolutely nothing if you would have started him? So let's assume for purposes of this argument, the first assumption that you've started all of these tight ends both weeks. So you've started them the first two weeks of the season. So what is the equilibrium? What is the zero point? And that is at tight end 20. And that is Kate Otten at zero war. So he's right on the zero line at tight end 20 in war. And when you translate that to fantasy points per game, Kate Otten is tight end 17 at seven points per game. 
So just remember that. Tight end 20 is the equilibrium point thus far through the season. And that is Kate Otten, who is tight end 17 in fantasy points per game. Now, when you look at that, you go, okay, seven points per game in PPR, that's probably not usable. That's something that I would probably not want to tolerate more than a week. I would always be aiming higher. But then if you just go look at what the graph looks like, and the graph for war is going to look very similar to the points per game graph, just because we only have two weeks of sample size, so the distribution is going to look similar. Uh, until you start getting a wider array of players that are hitting into these spots, the distribution is going to look pretty similar because we only have two weeks of results that I'm talking about here. I'm going to talk about the third week here uh, and why the interesting observations came up this week. But just vibe with me here. So you look at Kate Otten, tight end 20 in war, tight end 17 in points per game. But then you look at everybody above them. And it's not until you get to Mark Andrews at tight end six are you above 9.2 points per game. So between tight end seven and tight end 17, you are literally looking at less than 2.2 points per game. And the war graph reflects that as well. All the way up until tight end five, Mark Andrews is the first tight end that goes above one for the season in a tight end premium league. So right there, you already see where the flat line is starting to establish itself. So what I'm curious about is within that flat line, it's pretty easy to look at the war graph and the points per game and say, okay, TJ Hawkinson, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Evan Ingram, those are four of the top six. You could say those are four of the top six that were actually quote-unquote difference makers thus far. Uh, and that's just from a points per game standpoint. From a war standpoint, it's Hawkinson, it's Sam Laporta, it's Hunter Henry, it's Mark Andrews, and it's Evan Ingram. So the only guy that's not in there is Travis Kelsey, obviously, because he only played one game. But for all intents and purposes, we're going to put him in there just because we all know he's a unicorn. So when you look at that a little bit deeper, you go, okay, it's clear where the cutoff is starting to emerge. And what's crazy is we will sit here and say the tight end position is so gross, Everybody fades it unless you have one of the top couple. But really what it's looking like is very similar to what it looked like in years past. Uh, we've had Kelsey as a major outlier uh, for basically since we can remember. Mark Andrews had that one season where he was a major outlier. But for the most part, it's looked very much similar. If you go back and pull the last couple years worth of tight end war, it's going to look very similar to where you have that top four to six and then it flattens off. So thus far, you are seeing the distribution be very similar. And that's my first takeaway. Takeaway number one with this point is the tight end distribution is not that different. It's the same as it's always been. And then what's interesting is when you take that and you go below that top five or top six number, whatever you want to put it, and then you go through and just look at the names and you have Zachers, Hayden Hurst, Donald Parham, Johnu Smith, Cole Komet. Logan Thomas, Luke Musgrave, Noah Fant, Kylan Granson, Kate Otten. I already talked about him being the equilibrium point. So you go all the way down those names and you go, really, what is the common theme between all of those names? And most likely, 
you weren't locked having them in your starting lineup. Maybe a couple of them because they did have perceived value coming into the season. But by and large, a lot of those names that I just read off were not players that you probably looked and you were like, man, I just have to get that tight end in my lineup. I have to start them. I know exactly when I'm going to play them. And I know for sure they're going to give me this production. In fact, it's probably the opposite. In fact, if you had some of those guys on your team, you may have the experience where you didn't start them. Hey, I didn't start Hunter Henry week one. He was tight end one. I didn't start Noah Fant last week because why would I? He didn't have any targets in week one. But week two, he had a good week. But then you kind of wonder, like, how do people actually actualize the warp? That's the second time I've said that in the show. Actually actualize. How do you get that warp into your lineup if you're not willing to roster co- construct correctly? around the warp to begin with. And that's where this discussion is going to go. So the first thing is acknowledging, like I said, that the tight end distribution is the same. So keep that in the back of your head. It's pretty much the same, even through three weeks. It's pretty much the same as it's always been. The names may slightly differ. Like you have a rookie Sam Laporta in there this year, and you have a guy like Dallas Goddard, who's not in there anymore. But largely the names remain the same. So that's the first thing. The second thing, Now you go, okay, how do I take advantage of the fact that there are so many tight ends that are just bunched up together and you can look at the war tool or you can look at points per game and you can see this quite clearly. Now, the tricky thing is in a league like this, and I'll give this example because of uh, something that I have to admit is this league, I am not roster constructed correctly. Um, In fact, I don't like my roster construction in this league for this exact reason And it is that I have too many tight ends, which means I have too many decisions, which means I'm probably less likely to actualize some of this war that I'm talking about. This war that I'm saying, man, if you would have just started this tight end, if you would have just started Hunter Henry both weeks, you would have ended up with pretty solid war across the landscape in your league if you would have just had him in your lineup. And guess what? Guess who I have on this team? Hunter Henry. Guess how many times he's been in my starting lineup? Neither. So he put up 19.1 points in week one on my bench. 20.2 points week two on my bench. Now, why didn't I start him in week two after he was good in week one? Well, week one, I have Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram was okay. I started him in week two, but not week one. Who did I start in week one? I started Tyler Higby. Why did I start Tyler Higby? Well, Cooper Cup was out. I had just come off a week in Vegas. Tyler Higby was going off the board, tight end seven, tight end eight. And surely, surely Tyler Higby just had to smash when Cooper Cup was out. Who else were they going to throw to? And guess what? I bought into the narrative. Now, here's the problem. That's a Tyler Higby issue. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I am talking about is... I entered the season with a tight end room that was Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, Tyler Higby, David Njoku, and believe it or not, believe it or not, I actually had a fifth tight end on this team, Luke Musgrave. And obviously I wasn't starting Luke Musgrave, but I knew that I had a problem. And I had tried to shop these tight ends. I had tried to shop all of these tight ends for a second second plus, adding them to a trade to get another tight end or try to get an upgrade. But here's the thing. When they know I have five tight ends and all of them could finish anywhere between tight end five and tight end 30, no one's probably bailing me out of that problem. 
So I just couldn't move them for what I thought was fair value. And then you ask yourself, well, what is fair value? And someone had come to me and asked, okay, well, you traded Luke Musgrave away, which I did. And now I didn't start him week one. I started Tyler Higby. Uh, he was a bust. So unfortunately, he didn't help me in week one. He was in my lineup. I did not start any other tight ends because this is the team where I have absolutely stacked wide receivers. And so only one tight end is ever being started unless I have five or six injuries in this league. So as you can see right there, I go into the year with those five tight ends. I have a roster construction problem. And I waited. I figured, you know what? I'm going to be able to get a little bit of value. Uh, but here's the move that I made. So I traded after week one. I traded Roshan Johnson and Luke Musgrave for Greg Dulcich, who at that point was on IR. So by that point, everyone was out on Greg Dulcich. So I took him back essentially for free. And I got back a 24 second and a 25 second. And I posted that trade. I posted that trade in our Discord. And a couple people asked me, man, why'd you make that deal? Like, why'd you make that? Why'd you trade Musgrave right after his first week where he wasn't super involved from a production standpoint in week one, but he went out, had 50 yards, four targets, was okay on his first week. So you're going, man, there's a reason to be excited for this guy. His usage was great. He was right up there at the top in terms of usage routes run in week one. So everything was looking up for him. So people ask, well, explain why you would trade away the young Luke Musgrave out of all the other guys, Higby, Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, David Njoku, why Musgrave? And so here was my justification is that was the one that I felt actually could return market. I have already tried to move all these tight ends in this league. No dice, no one bit. And probably correct, if you look at the war, it doesn't make sense to pay a premium for any of these guys. Would someone have bought one for a second? Maybe. But I'm sitting there going, you know what? Let me find a way where I can potentially make it into a bigger deal and see what I can end up with on the other side. And I hadn't even gotten the bites for the second or the second and the third. I had an auto-accept trade block for a couple of these guys earlier in the year for a second and third. No bites. So my league was telling me they don't really value tight ends. So I'm able to make this deal. So threefold benefit of this deal. One, I get back Greg Dulcich. I can put him on the IR. He gives me just an extra body. Should I ever want to move another tight end or another tight end or another tight end, I have him stashed. Worst case scenario, he was a throw in in the trade. I got back two second rounders. Liquidation. As I already said, my team was stacked at wide receiver, pretty good at quarterback, a ton of running backs, and then essentially these five tight ends. So the one downfall for me was probably going to be the ability to bail myself out of a potential jam because I didn't have the draft capital. And this gave me two extra second round picks to potentially use later on. So that was the second part of that trade uh, that really was beneficial is I got the liquidation from a position of strength. And you're probably wondering, where am I going with this deal? The third thing was it made my lineup decisions a little bit easier. It removed one option out of the mix. After week one, with Tyler Higby's usage, not starting Tyler Higby after week one. Understood. I lost week one because of Tyler Higby, or at least I had him in the lineup and every other tight end except for Njoku outproduced him. Mistake. So I learned that lesson, moved Musgrave, moved Tyler Higby to the bench where I didn't put him in consideration. Then essentially I had a decision between Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram. I started Evan Ingram last week over Hunter Henry. 
just because his usage in week one was pretty good. And in a game versus the Chiefs, I figured, hey, it's a high total. Let me start Evan Ingram. So I started Evan Ingram. He didn't outscore Hunter Henry in week two, but he still put up a respectable game, 14.7 points. Hunter Henry put up 19 or 20.20. So made the wrong decision right there in week two. So again, I'm still battling this problem. This is the tight end conundrum. And I'm going to get to the major point as to why this mistake is something that I'm trying to learn from pretty quickly and why I think it's important to highlight the war trends along with roster construction principles. So week three, week three comes along. I didn't start Hunter Henry week one, even though I was really high on Hunter Henry in a bunch of my redraft leagues in FFPC and in KFFSC, I drafted Hunter Henry as a standalone tight end. And all I was betting was that I can get replacement value from Hunter Henry and I don't have to pay replacement value price. I pay less than that. I got him at a price where basically he was like a waiver wire pickup. And I just started him. And the biggest benefit when I was able to start 500 Henrys in those leagues in week one, and people will go, wow, I was lucky that you had him. Well, those are 20 man rosters. And usually the scoring isn't really one where you'd want to flex a tight end. Kentucky is one PPR and FFPC is 1.5 tight end premium. So you don't want to flex a tight end, right? We already know that. It's a start eight. You don't want to flex a tight end there. So I go, you know what? I'm just going to ride with Hunter Henry. And that is where you can see these big edges if you do that. Because I roster constructed correctly around punting a tight end. And a lot of people will go, how does that make sense? You're weak at tight end. Why would you not draft more than one? Why would you just ride with one? And the reality is if I lose that one due to injury, I just go get another one. Now, the reason is because it's shallow enough, there are tight ends that linger on waiver wires, especially in the Kentucky leagues, because it's not tight end premium. You can go pick up Noah Fant off waivers. You know, you can go pick up Jake Ferguson off waivers. Like there's a couple leagues where you can always find one of these tight ends sitting there because some teams don't even roster two. So it starts to become efficient to the way where it doesn't even matter who you have. If you don't have one of the elite ones, if you're just following the war, why would you ever roster more than one when you know the replacement value? is sitting out there on waivers. It also makes your decisions easier. So fast forward to this league. I know it's a 1.5, so it's slightly different, uh, but I started Evan Ingram again, week three. Got it right this week. Evan Ingram put up 17.2 points. If you look at my other tight ends, Hunter Henry, 4.7. So I didn't fall for the Hunter Henry trap. I stuck with my guns, thinking I'm just going to believe in Evan Ingram because he is one of those ones that is above the top six threshold and more and David and Joku not startable. So right there, I nailed it. Finally in week three, I nailed it with Evan Ingram. And the biggest reason that I missed out on his first two weeks or I missed out on the first two weeks is because I had too many decisions. And that's essentially what the summary is uh, with war. Now I know this is a roster league that has 32 players on it, 32 roster spots. So A lot of teams will go, I don't know who else to roster, and so I'll just carry extra tight ends. So it's not as easy as in like an FFPC league or a Kentucky league where you can just stream. And you can say, if I lose a guy like Evan Ingram, then yeah, it hurts because I probably invested a certain amount, but I can go pick up replacement value off waivers. So you do have to kind of make your roster construction principles fit the market a little bit. If everyone was this efficient in a 1.5 tight end premium league like this, Uh, the roster construction would say I probably want to carry two to three. In this case, I have four. 
And in this case, if I really, really, really wanted to lean into the strategy, I would then go back to the market and I would say, what can I get for Evan Ingram? He has put up double figure points back to back to back weeks. He was a top five tight end last year. And really, you're not going to find a tight end that is probably more consistent or at least gives you a better floor week to week outside of Kelsey. And at this point, probably Andrews and Hawkinson. So right there, he should have some market value. Now, why would I want to trade him away if he's been so consistent? Well, part of the reason is I can't trade the others. I go try to trade David and Joku. Nah, I don't, I'm good. I don't really want to give you anything more than a third. Hunter Henry. Yeah, Hunter Henry, if he would have had another damn near 20-point game, maybe. But he busted this week. So any dynasty value that Hunter Henry had is probably gone. At least, not even dynasty value, but any demand that he had is probably gone at this point, meaning I probably have to wait another week. But I still like Hunter Henry. That's the thing. He had a tough matchup. It's okay that he struggled, but I still like him. So really, what my bet would be is now to go back to the market, follow the war trends, and say, you know what? Evan Ingram has been slight difference maker last year thus far this year but i'm actually willing to bet against that just a little bit i also have calvin ridley on this team so maybe that sways me just a tiny bit to bet against evan ingram but the caveat is can i get something that helps my market value assets by trading away evan ingram if all i can get is a second second and a third i'm not really interested can i get a second and a running back that's useful. Can I get a second and maybe a upgrade at wide receiver or a slight upgrade at quarterback? Something that I can actually help move the total value of my roster and more importantly, the total value of my starters upwards. So that's the lesson learned. If I can't do that, the league is just going to continue to stick me with too many tight ends. And there's going to be weeks where I guess Evan Ingram wrong. He goes for 11 points. Hunter Henry scores 20. David Unjoku has a huge game. Unfortunately, David Njoku is not a guy that's even on my radar. It's either between Ingram and Henry, as long as they're healthy, Njoku is not even on the radar. So right there, I'm holding the perceived value of Njoku, who I still like, along with Henry, along with Ingram, and then Tyler Higby's just chilling out there. And I don't know if Tyler Higby ever really comes back, but the point is I'm, I have too many tight ends. And I'm making decisions a lot of times in a range where it really doesn't even matter. And I'm better off liquidating one of those pieces, especially if I'm willing to bet against Evan Ingram. I'm willing to essentially get rid of him, store that market value somewhere else, and just ride with the ones that I have. And that's the point of this exercise, especially the shallower your league is. This is how you should play any shallow redraft league. It's truly studs or duds. And people know that. You hear that in the mainstream shows. You will hear people say, oh man, just roster, get a stud tight end. Otherwise, don't worry about it. What they fail to really preach, and it's the same with the running backs, it's the most underrated thing about going hero RB or zero RB. It is you don't waste extra spots trying to hit on the position, especially at tight end. The worst thing you can do in a league where there are 20-man rosters, 18-man rosters, 16-man rosters, where you don't have a good tight end, is then go carry two of them. Gosh forbid, carry three of them. Well, why would you carry three? Well, I want to see if I can hit on one. What are you hitting on? That's the second question is, yeah, I, I want to hit on some upside. What, what are you actually trying to hit on? 
And let's just go through week to week, or let's just go through game to game. Not week to week, game to game. When I ask people, what are you trying to hit on? And a lot of times what they mean, what are they trying to hit on, is some level of consistency week to week. But unless that is consistently top five or top six, it's not giving you any war. So really what people are chasing is this mythical ceiling at tight end where it doesn't really exist outside of the names that we already know possess that ceiling. Now, what you're really hoping for is somebody that gives you no cost, but adequate production. And what's another way of saying that? Replacement value, right? You're really not getting anything more than the person that drafted tight end 13 off the board. You're just getting it at a far cheaper cost. And how do you access that reward? How do you realize that benefit? By not paying for more than one. By paying for the cheapest one in this perceived tier, with the tier being the results that half the people in your league are going to get replacement value at tight end. Now, you can get cute and say, I'm going to draft two and I'm going to platoon, but that'll be an exercise for a future show. Good luck platooning the right ones. I just went through an exercise where essentially I have not played the right tight end until week three. So right there, I'm one for three in platooning. And the more options that I have, the less likely that I'm going to platoon correctly. And that's the problem that I'm sitting with right now. I have four tight ends. Three of them, in theory, are probably startable. And I have to decide between the three every single week. And any of those three could get hurt. Any of those three could get hurt to a point where they have no value anymore either. We're not just talking about a sprained ankle or out a couple weeks. We're talking about any of those guys tears an ACL, valueless. Don't even care if it's Evan Ingram. Don't care if it's David Njoku. Don't care if it's Hunter Henry, especially Hunter Henry, but even the other two. They were to get a significant injury, done for. Done. Couldn't even get a third, especially in a league where they already devalued the tight end position. So just look at this, though. This is something I wanted to highlight, and I'm just going to pull up. I already said Kate Otten was the equilibrium point, right? Seven points per game. Let's just take a look at the spike weeks for the tight end position. Thus far this year, when I define spike week, I'm going to put that at somewhere above 13 points per game for the week or 13 points for the given week. Now that has been done 13 times this year. So we're talking about if you hit on one of these weeks in your lineup and I'm talking just PPR here, we're not talking tight end premium. If you hit on one of these in your lineup, how valuable was it? And then think about how valuable it was when you had it in your lineup and you didn't pay anything for it. It's one thing if you paid X price. You paid a dollar and you got $2 worth of war in your lineup. That's awesome. It's even better if you got $2 war in your lineup and you paid 10 cents. And that's where this decision-making tree comes in, where giving yourself no choices actually benefits you down the road. So here are the games. Where in PPR, you got 13 points. Let, actually, you know what? Let's make it 11. Just because even 11 is going to realize pretty decent war in a given week if you had them in your lineup. So we're just going to start today. Donald Parham. Or Donald Parham, this was week one against the Dolphins. 11.2 points per game. Or points in week one. Zach Ertz. Week two against the Giants. 11.6 points. Donald Parham again today, 14.4 points against Minnesota. Hayden Hurst, week one, 15.1. 
Pharaoh Brown today, random, out of nowhere, against the Jets, 15.1. Hunter Henry, week two, against the Dolphins, 17.2. And then Hunter Henry, week one, against Philly, 16.6. So just think about how valuable, if someone started Donald Parham today, and their only justification was he's tied to a good quarterback, he's been playing as much or more, than Gerald Everett, and he's going against a defense that's absolutely awful, and they're in a dome. If that was the only justification that you started Donald Parham, think of the benefit you had. You essentially just got a Mark Andrews week or a George Kittle spike week or a Travis Kelsey average week from Donald Parham. Think about the teams that started Hunter Henry in week one, week two. I mentioned those redraft leagues where I literally drafted Hunter Henry as my only tight end. I just started him. I realized both of those games. He has two of the top five tight end games on the year thus far, but I realized both. A lot of people will see those names and they go, oh, Hunter Henry's had two top five weeks. Guess what? A lot of people didn't even play him. If he was your backup, if he was your insurance policy to Mark Andrews, You didn't play him if Mark Andrews was playing. If he was your insurance policy to Dallas Goddard, you didn't play him. And you got little production from Dallas Goddard. So I think that's the main theme here when it comes to tight end. It doesn't even matter the tight end premium. The only thing that changes in the premium is what I've talked about in the past. The numbers look slightly different because obviously the tight ends in like a two PPR can fit into the flexes. But other than that, It's not that different. So I implore everybody, here's the takeaway. Here's how you fix this. Go to your rosters. If you are playing in a roster that is only start one tight end, this doesn't apply to start two tight ends because the math is a little bit different because you're dealing with a scarcity thing as well. But if you're playing in a league where it is two PPR, but more importantly, less than that, this is an absolute must. If you are in a 1.5, 1.25, tiered PPR, even tiered PPR, even one PPR, and then it's 0.5 for running backs or whatever. And, you know, it tries to give a little bit of a tight end premium, but it's still 1.0 PPR. Any of those, go to your team, look at your roster construction and see how many roster spots there are. Now, there's some leagues where I've seen where there's a ton of roster spots, 35 roster spots, you know, 30-man rosters. It's a start 10, 30-man rosters. There's an eight-man taxi. In those leagues, it gets a little bit harder. As you can understand, the the replacement value is only as good as when it's available for nothing. The idea of replacement value only works if it is replacement that you can go and get for free. If there's a cost associated to it, then obviously there is a benefit to not having to use it. So that's the thing. Some of these deeper leagues where you look at everybody and everybody on average is carrying 4.5 tight ends. Every team has five tight ends. You go, why do they need that fifth tight end? You know, why do they need Brevin Jordan as their seventh tight end on their taxi squad or whatever it might be? They don't. It's a waste of a roster spot. It's inefficient. But it also hurts the person that is sitting there going, man, replacement value. It's not that hard to find because I only need one or two tight ends until you go, yeah, but there's 47 other tight ends rostered across my league which means replacement value on the waiver wire is going to be much harder to find. So do that assessment. Figure out how many tight ends are rostered per team. So if it's a 12-team league, how many tight ends are currently on rosters? Probably should be three or less. Probably going to be a little bit more. 
but figure out that number and then figure out your construction and then look, is there a way that I have maybe a guy like Donald Parham, maybe a guy like Hunter Henry. Let's say I do have the Donald Parham because I picked him up. Hunter Henry, Noah Fant, tight end room. The first question I have to ask is, can I trade any of the three? Can I get anything? Can I get a third? We're talking just PPR here. Adjust accordingly. If it's 1.75 PPR, you're probably asking for a second or something to the equivalent. Can I get anything? If the answer is yes, take it. Because the majority of all those tight ends that you're talking about are all going to fit in that really, really flat range from tight end five to six all the way down to where you only need enough to get you by weekly. And barring that there isn't just an overwhelming amount of tight ends rostered in your league, you don't need to worry about the replacement value. Because if you go down a little bit further, outside of the top 20 names this year, you get Kylan Granson, you get Logan Thomas, you get Dawson Knox. No one started Dawson Knox. You get Tyler Conklin. How about Tyler Conklin? Week two. After Aaron Rodgers' injury, everyone buried him. Oh, 25th best tight end game of the year. How about Noah Fant came back in week two? Pretty decent game. How about Brevin Jordan popped up today? Brevin Jordan, no one projected that Brevin Jordan game today, huh? 9.3 points. How about Blake Bell, week one? Everyone started Noah Gray when Travis Kelsey was out. Nope, it was Blake Bell. Jonu Smith. Jonu Smith in week two. Who's Kyle Pitts? You got Jonu Smith in there. Posting 8.7. Got John U. Smith in week three. Again, same thing. Harrison Bryant. Josh Oliver this week. So the point is, it doesn't take much. We're talking eight, nine point games here. Doesn't take much. But because that is so close to just going, you know what? I'm going to fire up Josh Oliver today. Josh Oliver is a great example of a guy that got paid this offseason, plays a lot, and is on a team that throws a lot. And they play in a lot of dome games and they have a bad defense. So I don't care about Josh Oliver's target share. I really don't care about his snap share of his route run. As long as it's up there in 30 40% range, just because of the environment that he's in, you could go, you know what, I'm just going to throw Josh Oliver in there. And you can get him for free. That's a replacement value tight end that you can go, man, I pick him up for free. This guy over here starting Tyler Higby. Which one actually has any value? I don't know if Tyler Higby has value at this point. But the point is, there's no difference between the two. And that's what the war says, and that's what this tight end theory is. And I know this is a little bit mundane. This dragged on a little bit longer than I wanted it to be. But the point being that you don't need to overvalue tight ends. And as soon as you get one that is valuable, the only caveat would be a guy like Dalton Kincaid or Sam Laporta or even Luke Musgrave, right? Like the, the one caveat here is if you have one of the ones that you can sell, it might be because there aren't a lot of other players that are for sale that anybody wants at tight end. So just keep that in mind. Don't just go, oh, I have Sam Laporta. I have Donald Parham, Josh Oliver, and Sam Laporta. So let me go sell Sam Laporta and just play the other two. You could make that bet if it was a redraft league. You could make that bet if there was no dynasty market value component. But be smarter when it comes to the guys you sell. But if you're talking about these middling guys like Goddard, Fryermuth, Njoku, like any of those, you already kind of know what they are. So liquidate by the fact that somebody's willing to pay for them. 
and just go a tier below and just bet that the war is going to be right because it has been this way for the last couple of years and it's trending that way again in 2023. So tight end roster construction was the theme. I didn't mean for this to go almost damn near 40 minutes, uh, but it's something that I just see as an absolute mess. It's actually worse at tight end than it is at running back. I see people getting a lot sharper at running back in my league. I see a lot of leagues where it is tough for me to grind the running back edges because I go, damn, there's five or six other people in here doing the same thing. And I see it because I see those people proposing me trades. Not that they expect me to take them, but I see them proposing me trades where it's like, hey, you want to buy Josh Kelly? Hey, you want to buy Melvin Gordon? You want to buy Trey Sermon? Yeah, you want to buy Trey Sermon for a fourth? How about Melvin Gordon for a fourth? How about Kenyon Drake? He just signed, and Justice Hill is out this week. You want to buy him for a fourth? How about a third for Zach Moss? That would have been a good buy. But you get the point. I see other people proposing me those trades. And I go, yeah, they're grinding every running back on a 53. So that's where I think you can gain an edge at tight end is because a lot of other people in your leagues are probably treating running back, maybe not to the full extent of any running back on a 53 and do not roster any roster clock or receivers. But I bet you they're not going to that extreme at tight end. I bet you you look at, go to go to a 1.5 tight end premium league where people have this perception that tight end should matter. Go look at the roster construction. If it's a 12-team, 1.5 tight end premium, message me. If you want to message me on Twitter or Discord, just let me know how many tight ends are rostered on average in your league and what percentage that is of your total players rostered. So in theory, if it is a 12-team, start 10 with 30-man rosters. That means 360 players should be rostered across the league if you assume everybody has 30, which that's a whole other discussion when people don't have a full roster. But let's just assume out of 360, everybody has, I don't know, we'll just call it three. Let's make it a a, a nice even number. Let's make it four tight ends. So you have 48 tight ends that are rostered across the entire league. So if you take 48 tight ends out of 360 that could be rostered, you're looking at a percentage of right around 13, 13 13.5. And I would say anything that is above 15 is probably going to get you in a range where it's way more difficult to find replacement value tight ends on waivers. So do that math. Count how many tight ends are rostered. Just go through everybody's teams and don't count the IR ones. Obviously, people can stash players on IR. So it gets a little bit murky of how to how to justify this number. But the point is, if you're in a range where it's, let's say it's less than 10, that would tell me that people are pretty efficient with their tight end rostership which is a good thing, which means you should be able to lean into the strategy even more because the replacement value should be more readily available. What tends to happen as the season goes on, though, is players get injured, running backs especially get injured, and they're ones that as soon as they get injured, the team will even cut them. So, of course, you're going to cut them in Dynasty, right? And then people will go, oh, that Donald Parham, man, he's had a couple good games. Let me just pick him up. Well, why'd you pick up Donald Parham when you have six other tight ends? You might say, I'm going to try to trade him, but unless you pick him up as your tight end six, and then you try to trade one ahead of him, you really don't gain anything by picking him up. He's just there because you're never going to start him and you can't trade him. So you just picked him up and occupied a spot. So it actually hurts you when you roster construct poorly and you carry too many tight ends, but it happens. People will start picking them up because there isn't anybody else to pick up. Other than backup quarterbacks and any running backs on a 53, there really isn't anything else to pick up. And the same people that are fading roster clogger receivers and buying into any running back on a 53, they're not going to want to add roster clogger receivers. 
And I'm guilty of that. Even as the season goes on, like I don't go, oh, I got to add that Brandon Johnson from Denver because, well, he's just as involved as Marvin Mims. So I got to add him. Like I, I don't even play that way. I don't even add those guys unless it's best ball. I just don't even pick them up. I don't care how they produce, which means I'm going to miss out if a guy comes out of nowhere and somehow becomes a threshold receiver. I'm going to miss out most likely if it's a waiver player. But the point is it starts to get more inefficient as the season goes on because people go, well, there's Brevin Jordan. He's had a couple good games. Let me just pick him up for what? There's really no rhyme or reason. But the rostership of number of tight ends across the league usually increases as the year goes on, which makes this, the strategy a little less viable. So go back to one of your leagues. If it's 1.5, even 1.75 or 2 PPR, look at your roster construction. Are you getting access to the tight ends? And even if you're not getting tight end production at all, you are better off just rolling with the one or two options that you have versus trying to add more when you're adding them all in that replacement level range. So keep that in mind, liquidate any excess, especially if it's a guy that has a couple good games, kind of like a Hunter Henry comes out of nowhere, has a couple good games. If you could sell for a second gone, unless you're betting that he's going to finish in that top eight or so or better top six or better sell liquidate, take the value while you can get it. Cause you know how volatile it is just because of how gross position is. So I'll wrap up the tight end talk. I'll be back here in just a minute. I want to close out the show talking a little bit about uh, Devon A-Chain and the little debate that I got in on Twitter about A-Chain earlier today and just wanted to clarify that point because I think it's important uh, with some of the statements that I make weekly on Trades in 5 and on Destination Chill. And Ray and I did the show last week about running backs. I think it's very important that I clarify this point and a perfect time to do it is after Devon A-Chain's massive game posted just an absolutely bonkers game and he posted 51.3 PPR points. And you might say, yeah, it was a great game, huge game, 51.3 points. Do you know how many times a running back has posted 50 or more PPR points in the last decade? It's only happened five times. It's happened once the last three years, and then it happened twice in the previous six years. So we're talking about he is only the sixth running back to post 50 or more points in a game, which is just crazy. I mean, insane. Now, part of it was a game that just got completely out of control. Clearly, the matchup is there. It, it's the, the perfect scenario for him to put up these game, but you never expect that it would be 51.3 fantasy points. And this was a undersized running back that no one really knew what to do with the profile. He was a third round pick. He was fast, but he wasn't like, ungodly fast where we've never seen a player that fast ever in the league. And he puts up 51.3 PPR points, literally only the sixth game from a running back like this in the past decade. And the reason I wanted to talk about H8 is not just because he had this game, uh, because everyone's going to talk about him this week. You're going to hear podcast after podcast after podcast going Devon H8, Devon H8, Devon H8. Great. Should we start him next week? I think that's the thing is I put out a tweet earlier, and it got a little bit of a discussion going, and this is kind of where I want to go with this, is, so I use Safe Leagues because it's one place where you can get a lot of Dynasty sit-start data, at least a uniform number or percentage that you can put out there and say, here is a concrete percentage or a concrete example of what I can use for a start rate. So I pulled safe leagues. Now there are some different types of leagues that are under the safe leagues wing. If anybody hears this and knows a little bit more about uh, what goes into that start rate, 
on safe leagues, let me know. But 5% started. 5%. So right there, yes, he had this groundbreaking game. Record-breaking. Only the sixth such game in the last decade. 5% started. No one had him in the lineup. I have two Devon A-chains in lineup leagues. I have three Devon A-chains in redraft leagues. I only started two of five. And I will slim my running backs down as low as they can go. So I have to start a guy like that. If I know he could have a decent role because Salvin Ahmed's going to be out, that's usually a player in those leagues in my builds where he is much more on my radar than most people. But only 5% of leagues. Hell, I only started him in 40% of the leagues that I have him on. But only 5% started him, which means you now have 95% of people that are going to chase this week. They're going to not, they're going to even chase 50 points per game. They're just going to chase this week. And I bet you that start rate climbs to 90% next week, maybe higher. Maybe I'm overestimating people adjusting quick enough, but it just feels like great. You have found money and you didn't have them in your lineup. That sucks. You look at your bench and you go, damn, that sucks. I left 50 on my bench. I probably started AJ Dillon. He got me seven points. You know, I probably started this running back. He got me 11. This running back got me five. Ooh, Josh Kelly. I started him over Devon A-Chain. Thought it was a good matchup. Going to get more work. Going to get more touches. Yeah, probably not. That's looking real bad if you're looking back. But it wasn't the wrong play. It wasn't wrong to go, you know what? Let me see what happens with A-Chain. But the reality is you didn't get him in your lineup. So now you're faced with a running back that plays on the best offense in the league right now. The system where you want the quarterback, you want the receivers, you want the running backs, you want any piece of this offense that you can get. So he's going to be shit jammed in the lineups or he is going to be a trade chip that people look to move. So here's my take. And this is the treat that the tweet that kind of triggered everything is I put him, put that tweet up that said he was 5% started. Uh, go reap. Only 5% of people got to reap the Devon A-Chain rewards. The entire Dynasty world will now chase this repeatedly for the rest of the season. Uh, and some of the replies in there were actually surprised me. Uh, and I'll give him a shout out because we went back and forth a little bit. But Clint McLean said, you said he's not worth a roster spot because he's a day two running back. And I had asked, I said, what are you talking about? Uh, and he pulled up a tweet from August the 8th. And the tweet said, if a running back has no role for 2023, they have no dynasty value as valuable as a roster spot. So basically what that is saying is any running back on a 53, he is worth a roster spot, as are all of those guys. But what I meant by that tweet is I do not want to assign dynasty value in the short term right now. And that doesn't change going forward based on the profile. And I think that is the part where that tweet maybe missed some people. And I wasn't even aware of it until it got brought my attention. And I'm going, where? when did I say something like that? Because he basically said I, he wasn't worth a roster spot, which is the opposite of my strategy. My strategy is roster any running back that's breathing for the chance that I may have the opportunity to ever put him in a lineup. But with that comes exactly what I've talked about the last couple of weeks is you need to know how to maneuver that market week to week. Trade the guys when you don't need them be able to throw in a guy like A-Chain in into a league or two. Like, you want to take advantage of it. You don't want to be bogged down with so many running backs that you don't know when to play them. Now, towards the end of the year where there's only so many weeks left, okay, fine. But throughout the season, if I don't need Josh Kelly, if I don't need Zach Moss, if I don't need Gus Edwards, I'm training them. I don't want to leave those points on my bench. Whether they had a good game or not, I don't want to leave those points on my bench, and I also don't want to lose the access 
to having other running backs that I could have started that essentially it's just like the tight ends. You know, whether I had A-Chain, Zach Moss, Gus Edwards, Josh Kelly, if you had all four and you only had one or two spots, I bet you very few people put in A-Chain. But if you didn't have anybody but A-Chain, if you took a third for all of those guys and you go, well, all I have is A-Chain left, sure, I'll throw him in. And boom, you reap those rewards. Now, it can backfire sometimes, but when you look at the war, you're striking or what you're shooting for isn't something that's going to matter anyway. You're just hoping to get placeholder points. If I start Gus Edwards, I'm hoping for 11 points. Give me 9, give me 11, give me 10. What's winning for me with my construction is not that running back spot. So liquidate where you can. What I want to do is I want to find places where I can upgrade using that liquidation value. And then hopefully in the right market that if I ever get to a point where I have three running backs that are injured and I have two others that are on a buy and I need to buy a spot start, I can buy one. And that's where this thread went. The thread just kind of went back and forth saying any running back on a 53. And what I meant by that was I don't want to draft running backs, see that they don't have a role, and then go, well, give it a year. Maybe they'll get a role. That doesn't mean that can't happen. In fact, we're seeing that this year. There are guys that are in year two or year three that maybe they take a year to grow into a role. The point is you don't want to keep them at that market value for a year. A, because you should be able to buy right back in to a lot of shares of a guy like Jerome Ford at cheaper than you had to last year or around the same draft price. So that's the first thing is the market is not going to go up to a point where you can't get access. The second thing, and the reason I tweeted that was probably more because of Kendra Miller, but it applied to Devon A. Chain as well, is those guys were still trading for early seconds. People were still paying seconds for Kendra Miller. And it may end up that Kendra Miller doesn't have much of a role in 2023. And if I can get a second for him, that's okay. It doesn't mean his future is shot. It doesn't mean next year he can't be a year two running back. That's a starter. But the point was, if they don't have an immediate role, which means they're not going to have an immediate slot they fill on my roster, then I'm okay taking the market value for them. So essentially, it is a redraft market at running back. It just bleeds into the next year because you're going to have some carryover. You're going to have some bodies that are on rookie contracts that stay with the same team that are still any running back on a 53 next year. But that doesn't mean you go, well, he's not playing this year. I'll just wait a year. I'll just hold him. No, take the value, especially when they're actually trading for market value. Now, if a guy doesn't do anything and they're just inactive for 10 weeks to start their rookie year, well, they're not going to have any value. At that point, rostering them as part of your build is more valuable than what you can get. But you had people out there in August, and it was probably right around when I was tweeting this, is I'll still give a second for Kendra Miller. Okay. Doesn't mean he can't have a role. It doesn't mean he won't have a role in 2023. But right now, it doesn't look like he has a role to where he is a startable option. And I'm basically getting him at the startable option price. I'm getting a second for him. A second is typically what I will pay for multiple spot starts. Like I would pay if I got multiple weeks out of a guy like Zach Moss. Now I may not, but if you tell me a starter gets hurt, and I can get three or four possible starts from this guy, I'll pay a second for that. I'll pay a third for the, they don't have anybody else, so we're going to start Melvin Gordon. Okay, maybe I'll pay a third if it looks like Melvin Gordon can be the starter 
for a short sample size. But if I'm getting that for a guy like Kendra Miller anyway, all I'm doing is saying I am not going to give him extra dynasty value because he's young. All I'm saying is I will trade him for the price of, hey, he's going to get me multiple spot starts. And that's where the dynasty market hasn't caught up. And that is where they are still dug in on, well, if a guy got decent capital, he will definitely get a shot to be something more than just a any running back on a 53 that has a steady role potentially. And that's it. That is the only point of that tweet. That is the only difference is basically viewing these players as what are they doing for me now? That doesn't mean that Zach Moss has as much talent as Kendra Miller. But for the last two weeks, one was available and you could have started him and one wasn't. So if you started Zach Moss the last two weeks, then you're two games ahead of what you're on with Kendra Miller. So the only thing you're assigning, if you're saying Kendra Miller is worth five times what Zach Moss is, and I don't know if that's the true market, but you get the point. The only thing you're assigning is there's going to be this future value attached to Kendra Miller. And the reason that I kind of speak out about that is because since I play in so many leagues, here's the reality. Let's say I had 10% exposure to Kendra Miller, and he would have had a Zach Moss game today. He doesn't need to have a Devon A-Chain game. Give me 17, 20 points, okay? Kendra Miller would have had 20 points today. What would the market have looked like? Would there have been more people that would have gone, man, that was a good profile. I should have got more in rookie drafts. I'll buy. Yes, there would have been more people interested. Would there have been more people interested at way more than what that original buy price was? Probably not. And I've just seen this time and time and time again. We go, man, if Tank Bigsby ever gets the starting role, watch out. And then lo and behold, he gets the starting role. And he's decent. Might even say he's good. But then you go, let me go try to now sell at a profit because he has that starting role. And you go try to sell on the market and people go, oh man, he's a running back. He's a third round pick. He's good, but I, I can't give a first. I just can't. I'll give you a second and a body. But right there, now you're looking at a profit proposition where I go, is that super exciting? And don't get me wrong. There are deals to be had like that. If you do hit on the right rookie running backs that were going for seconds or got drafted in the second round, and then they actually pop. And they look like they could be the next Rashad White or the next Damian Pierce or the next Brian Robinson. People will pay for that. But in a lot of leagues, it's not a first. In a lot of leagues, it's I'll give you maybe a second and a third. Maybe I'll give you two seconds. But I just think there's this mythical profit that people think can be realized. But then it happens. And then you go to your running back market and you go, who wants to buy? And it's, yeah, sure, I'll buy. Of course, I will buy Kendra Miller if he looks good and he has a role. But you know what I'm going to buy? I'm going to buy him for the multiple spot start price, not a first. And I think that is where this strategy is different. I don't think I've been able to kind of explain this the way that I wanted. So I'm trying to take this end of uh, today's show to do that and just explain that it is not that I don't think a guy like A-Chain, because he didn't have a role in week one, isn't worth a roster spot. What he's not worth is me going, well, I know he has upside. I know he's going to be a future starter. I know what he's going to do in the future. So I'm going to hold his market value 30% higher than Jerome Ford, than Kyron Williams. And I'm speaking of those guys before they got the roles that they have now. But the point was, you don't just go, oh man, because he's young, we haven't seen anything. That's what you capitalize on. 
So word to the wise, there's a lot of rookies like that this year. Roshan, Tank Bigsby, Zach Charbonnet, and there's going to be more that come. But I kind of just want to challenge everybody and go, okay, Kendra with Kamara coming back. All those other guys I mentioned have another running back ahead of them. Let's say they do seize the role. Let's say there's an injury and they look good. Then what? What do you sell for? If anything, you go, I'm glad I held on to a couple because now I have a running back that was a starter that probably fits my construction. Let me go see what I can sell. But if I can't sell, I still have somebody that's basically found money. But this idea that, I mean, the the future dynasty market where you can just flip a running back, even if it's a running back that people liked, Tank Bigsby, Charbonnet, for a first, I don't think so. And that's why A-Chain is so fascinating. I have no idea what the A-Chain trade market is going to look like, but I'm very curious to see what it is uh, over the next couple of days. I'm not even going to speak to what I think we should do with it because honestly, I don't know. You could make the argument that if he gives you 60% of what he gave you today, two times a year, might even be worth a first if you look at it from a war standpoint. Now, back to the beginning of the show, what do you have to make sure you do if he does that? You didn't capture the 50-point game. If I told you he's going to have two 25-plus-point games and three 15-plus-point games the rest of the year, that's awesome. You may even pay a late first for that, only if you're constructed to where you get those in your lineup. Nothing's going to hurt more if you got him on the bench in that 25-point game. Then you chase two weeks after that, and he gives you 10, and he gives you 8. Keep in mind, you paid a lot for him. This wasn't 10 and 8 that you got for free. You paid a lot. So you get the point, though. Unless you're going to capture all those weeks, and the only way you're for sure going to capture all those weeks is if you roster construct appropriately to where he's always in your lineup, that's where it's a little shaky if you're going to pay flexible first-round picks for running backs. So that ends the show. I'll be curious to see what the A-chain buzz is this week. Uh, Some good stuff. It kind of came out of nowhere. It blew me away when I saw that he's only one of six running backs in the last decade that's posted 50 points. Uh, That's pretty awesome company to be in. So shout out to him uh, doing that in his first damn regular season game. Not his first year, not his first month, his first game. And the crazy thing is the other backfield mate of his went for 45 plus. I mean, talk about just a wild day from a rushing backfield. I mean, if anyone can show me a league that was not best ball, that you started both of them together, man. I'll have a prize for you of some sort. I'm still looking for it where you started both Mostert and Devon A-Chain in a lineup league together. And I don't even care. There's not really a justification as to why somebody would do that. Uh, Even a tanking team probably doesn't want to have a guy like Mostert on it anyway. So I'm just curious if anybody had both of them in a lineup, send me the screenshot. Don't Photoshop it. Don't doctor it, but send me the screenshot and I'll make sure a reward gets forwarded to you. Uh, in some capacity. With that, I will go ahead and sign off. Appreciate everybody. Uh, Trades in 5 coming up tomorrow night, uh, 8.30 on Dynasty Trades in 5 YouTube. Wednesday, Destination Chill, 9 p.m. Eastern. Don't know what the topic's going to be, but we'll be announcing that on Twitter uh, tomorrow, so you'll get that a day in advance so people can prep for it. Destination Chill on Destination Devi YouTube, 9 o'clock Eastern on Wednesday. That will be September 27th. And then right following that, if you want access to the AMA with Ray, um, he'll have guests Brandon gonzalez Cottrell on from Destination Devi. Brandon is awesome, does a ton for the Destination Devi team behind the scenes. If you see stuff going out on social media, almost always it's Brandon. Uh, He's a whiz at 
doing the socials for DD, does a lot of stuff behind the scenes, uh, writes together the Destination Debbie newsletter. So it'll be interesting to see. We don't get to hear Brandon a lot on the mic. Um, I get to talk to Brandon a lot in voice chat. Uh, one of the perks of being in the Heisman group. But other than that, the people don't hear from Brandon a lot. So we'll get to hear from Brandon uh, on the AMA with Ray co-hosting it uh, Wednesday. That'll be after Destination Chill in the Discord about 10.05 p.m. Eastern. Got to be in the Discord. Uh, any tier will get you in, but sign up for Heisman. Sign up for Trades in 5. Again, patreon.com, all gas, uh, before the end of the month. And then everything will switch over to destinationdevy.com. But you got to be in the Discord to get access to that AMA, get your questions answered. Uh, and probably a lot of the topics that will come up will be similar to what I've talked about, uh, what some others have talked about this week on DD following Destination Chill on Wednesday nights. With that, I will go ahead and sign off. Enjoy uh, the Monday night game. Good luck with the rest of your matchups in week three, and we are on to week four very, very shortly. Be chill. There's a rumor going down about me and you. Stirring